Beyond the Wrench with Jay Ganinen from Wrenchway. Welcome back to Beyond the Wrench. My name is Jay Ganinen and I am your host. Before we jump into today's episode, we want you to know that we care about your opinions as our listeners and this is why we're giving you the opportunity to share with us topics that you'd like to hear on Beyond the Wrench. If you have a topic or a guest in mind, be sure to send us an email at info at wrenchway.com. We want to make sure we are covering all of the topics you want to hear about, and the best way we can do that is to hear it directly from you. So please reach out to us again. That, that email address is info at wrenchway.com. For today's episode, I have with me Dan Schein from Automotive News, a senior editor at Automotive News, and just a really good person. He's got a lot of really cool things going on at Automotive News and excited to have him here to talk today. So, Dan, how are you doing? Jay, doing great. Thanks for having me. Good. Well, you put out all kinds of great content everywhere. It feels like I see an article from you each week or see something from you. How do you manage all your time and getting all this uh, all this content out there? I, I rarely sleep, so <laughs> it's, 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 it can be a little crazy at times. But, but I enjoy I enjoy what I do, so it's not really too much work. No, it's it's cool. You put out a really really good work. So let's start off like we do in most episodes and, and talk about your background and how you got to where you're at today. What what got you in the automotive industry in the first place? Well, I was I was in the newspaper business to begin with. I studied journalism at Michigan State. I went and worked at two daily newspapers in Dallas and then in Detroit. And then I broke away and spent 16 years at the University of Michigan as a communications director at a think tank. And just uh, was looking for change. I was commuting about an hour each way to up to Ann Arbor and back to my home in Detroit. And so I wanted something a little bit closer to, uh, to home. And a great opportunity to automotive news. And so I jumped at it. And uh, so right before, about six weeks before the pandemic hit, I... I Jumped in, and instead of commuting an hour, I was walking to my kitchen table every morning and, and working from there. But that's cool. So, what made you want to get into journalism in the first place? So, I'm born into a journalism family. My father worked at the same newspaper in Detroit for 47 years, rising from you know working there as a part-time college student, and 47 years later, he retired as publisher and president. So, grew up around. Reporters all the time, these, you know, crazy people in this business. I'm the youngest of six. And so we'd have these big, you know, family dinners every night. And my father would bring home some new reporter just out of college, you know, who didn't know anybody. So there'd always be one or two new faces at the table, dinner table every night. And so I just, you know, I spent a lot of Saturdays there when my father had to go to work and my mother said, well, you got to take one of your, one of the kids with you. And so I would go and, and run around the newsroom. And, and so this is kind of a magical place. So I just kind of, I love to write. And so I wasn't good at math, wasn't good at science. So this seemed to be my Pretty destiny. Natural. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he had to have met some interesting people. I mean, in Detroit with a publication, I mean, you're in, you're in the hometown of basically the automotive industry, right? Like everything started in Detroit and between automotive and sports and like there's just uh, music there's so much that happened in in Detroit during his time I have to imagine he met some cool people yeah I think there was a time when before he passed away that I think he shook every president's hand from Eisenhower all the way through gosh I mean, you know, through Clinton I want to say wow um, and so yeah 
We had we had the Lord Snowden came and had brunch at our house one time. He was married to Princess Margaret at the time, and so you know, yeah, it was you know, it's an, that's what it kind of you know interests me in newspapers. It's just something new every day. You're kind of a eyewitness to a lot of, and so it just seemed like a a fun job to do. And it has been, uh, yeah. I feel like I know for a fact my dad has not shaken any president's hands. So <laughs> I, I, he's he's definitely got. The, I'm guessing your dad just has had some amazing stories to tell, yeah. and and the people that you were able to meet. I mean, just to have brunch. I mean, that's insane. That would have that was. There's zero chance any of my friends ever had that opportunity. Yeah, I was. I mean, I was 11 or 12 at the time. I didn't really like grasp of it, you know. But a, a quick funny story, I'll tell you. So my, my grandmother was from Ireland, and so she didn't have a lot of love for the British. And so my father didn't invite her to the brunch because he knew that she would cause trouble. But she was coming over for dinner, and the brunch lasted, you know, well into the afternoon because Lord Stone was having a great time. And so my grandmother showed up, and so my father was like, oh, you know, this is going to be bad. And so they start talking, and, and she starts making a couple of, you know, remarks. And so they and so she just talked about how she left Ireland because she didn't want to be like, you know, curtsying and bowing, you know, to people as she backed out of her room and stuff. And this is like a land of opportunity. We don't have to bow or curtsy to anybody in this country. And then she said, well, I'll, you know, I'll give a toast to the queen. And so I'd be, but there was people from the British consulate in Detroit were there and stuff. And they all said, oh, to the queen. And I'll raise their champagne glasses. And my grandma said, up her kilt. So, <laughs> so everyone like was aghast. And Lord Stone thought it was hilarious. And like later, Gave my grandmother his phone number at Kensington Palace and said, you know, next time you're in London, you got to call me. We're going to go out. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So. That is insane. Yeah. Well, that's that's cool. So then that whole, like, kind of journey just led you to where we're at today, right? And what you're doing with Automotive News. Can you talk to us a little bit about what your job entails at Automotive News? So I have, I wear two hats at Automotive News. So. First is I'm editor in chief of Fix Ops Journal, the magazine that comes out every other month, covers the you know the service and parts and collision in dealerships. And then my other hat is I cover I you know oversee coverage of finance and insurance at dealerships. So we have uh, we have two reporters on staff who produce a weekly digital newsletter, and then we also once a month have a page in the automotive news, and then every quarter we have a, a big section, you know, a big ten page, twelve page section. Of F and I news, so those are my two worlds that that I kind of traipse in. So it was pre-pandemic, probably kind of a crash course on everything fixed ops and and how broad this industry is. I mean, there's so many different elements to this industry. I'm guessing that's a it's kind of a it's probably refreshing to learn something a little bit different, but then also just a, a challenge of like how grasping this entire thing. Yeah, the fix ops was, you know, it's all been kind of a learning, steep learning curve, and I'm still, I'm still, you know, learning it and figuring out what, you know, ELR means and all this kind of, you know, stuff and how to calculate that. But it, that involves numbers and math, and then, and then I'm not good at that either. So, but, you know, I was lucky enough to, you know, kind of embed with, you know, a fix ops directors meeting early on. Right, you know, actually, actually, as like you know, the world shut down. I was over Phoenix at, a, at this meeting, so I've been able to kind of immerse myself a little bit, and you know, with the help of a lot of good, friendly people in the service business, who kind of take me under their wing and, and you know, teach me about all these things. It's, it hasn't been you know so bad, and F and I is still a challenge because it involves numbers. And again, I'm a writer, and numbers are just a scary thing for me. They didn't say anything about numbers when they hired you. Like, That's right. I said, nobody said math. Right? Yeah. Nobody mentioned anything about math when I <laughs> took this job. 
(laughs) Well, I think the cool part about our industry, though, is there are so many people that are willing to jump in and help and and seeing as you've come into the industry, the amount of relationships that you've been able to make and really the connections that you've been able to put together and even, you know, the evolution of the type of content in the course of the last couple of years. I, I mean, it's not just fixed ops, but it feels like a lot has changed in terms of how you deliver that content. You just had your fixed ops. Was it fixed ops forum? Yep. Yes. And that was awesome. I mean, the amount of great people you got onto the forum to talk about some pretty crazy things in the industry. It was pretty cool to see. I mean, you did a really good job putting all that together. Yeah, it's a lot of work and, you know, thankful to all the people who agreed to take time out of their busy schedules to sit down with me and answer my questions. And so, yeah, it was, it was great. And so we're trying to do more of, of that. It's, you know, the, the, the publishing business is, is evolving and changing and a lot more, you know, people consume their news in different ways now. We still have a very, you know, robust print subscriber, but there's a lot of people who, who read unload news only online or on their phone. And so we you know, are kind of trying to adjust. To, to meet them where they are. As you say that, I've got uh, automotive news sitting directly next to me. So I, I am a big fan of everything that you guys do. And the, the quality and content and the, the, the depth of the content, I think, is really good. I, I want to ask you about the writing itself, right? Like, what goes into it? How do you even select what you're going to write about? Can you tell me a little bit about the process of actually writing an article? Sure. So, I mean, if it's a, if it's a good month or a good magazine, that means I don't, I'm not writing hardly anything. But uh, sometimes, you know, when there's things follow through or we, you know, need it, we got extra space, then I'll, then I'll come in. And I love writing, but, you know, it's just, I've got enough on my plate. So for, uh, for the magazine, you know, it comes out every other month. And so once, you know, the, actually, you know, even before the, let's say, like we're working on the December issue right now. But, you know, I was working on that in September and kind of putting together stories and ideas. And, you know, they'll come from, you know, sometimes, you know, my staff is all freelance, right? I have one staff writer, Richard Truitt, but he's part-time. He kind of writes about Jaguar Land Rover. He writes about engineering issues at Automotive News. So he, when he can, he'll lend his voice to Fixed Ops Journal. The rest of the staff are all freelancers, you know, people who have regular nine to five jobs, but maybe will do something after work or they're freelancing for two other publications that might not even be automotive related, but they write for me as well. And so it's, you know, it's kind of coordinating them, coming up with ideas. You know, again, I, you know, if I see something on LinkedIn, that sounds interesting. If I, you know, listen to your podcast or, you know, other podcasts and I hear a good, interesting guest talk about an issue they're having, then I'll say, well, that sounds like a good story. And so I'll always just kind of like, you know, I, we put out our uh, digital newsletter today, and I already got an email from, you know, fixed house director at a, a Subaru shop in, in Arizona. And he said, hey, you know, love your column. And I said, okay, well, you know, I'm going to give you a call next week. We'll just catch up. And so I make a lot of phone calls to people just kind of checking in, you know, what's going on in your shop? What's, you know, what are the challenges you're seeing? What are some of the things that you've had success doing? So it's a lot of, you know, it's just a lot of phone calls and just kind of reading things to come up with story ideas that I think are relevant and that, you know, that are timely. And then it just, it's a matter of assigning them out to the writers I have, you know, and see what, you know, see what kind of capacity they have to write them. And I'll give them kind of a length, you know, this seems interesting. I'll give you, you know, 1400 words, which is, you know, probably like a, a two page spread. You know, this is not as interesting. Let's just do 700 words as one page. Make sure you get photos and things like that. So a lot of, you know, so there's always a lot of moving parts and, you know, sometimes, most of the time they'll come in and they'll, 
they'll turn the store in when they're supposed to. Sometimes the deadline slips by, you know, they can't reach people they're supposed to reach. So then I got to find something else that maybe is already done to put in its place. So it's a lot of always, you know, kind of shuffling the deck chairs, uh, quite often. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, can be, sometimes it's, you only got a couple of days to write something. Sometimes, you know, they have two, three weeks. So it kind of just depends on, on how big a subject is. So very deadline driven, right? Like where yes. you've got, you've got to meet your deadlines. It's like, uh, feel like there's been TV shows where that's like kind of the theme of where we've got to get our deadline, got to get our deadline. So it, it, it's interesting that that's, you know, that's your reality. That's what you live in is, is the world of deadlines. Yeah. It's, it's always looming. I mean, I know, you know, I have an F and I, F and I section that is continuing to grow each day because there are more ads are being sold, which means I have to produce more stories for it. And, you know, that, you know, every time I think about it, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's, that's like right around the corner and like we are not prepared at all, you know. And, you know, and then right on its heels will be, you know, public, you know, our production week for the magazine. And, I'm always unprepared. I'm like, oh my, you know, this is never going to work. We're going to like, you know, we're going to fail. It's not going to, we're not going to publish a magazine. And I got a great designer, Steve Massey always says, shine, it'll get done. Don't worry. You know, and it always, so far it always has gotten done. So it it always turns out really good. I I am always impressed with the quality of articles and and what you put out there. And I, I just think, you having those connections and having your your ear to the ground in terms of what's happening and just really understanding the pulse of the industry, you've done such a good job at, at understanding that up front. So I commend you for that because that's Thank not you. the easiest thing in the world to do is stay on top of everything. Yeah. Uh, but you, you do a good job with that. We just launched our new weekly game on Shop Talk, The Loneliest Number. Each week, we will post short poll questions on Shop Talk about industry topics. Technicians who answer the questions will earn points to play the game and get a chance to win our $1,000 weekly prize. $500 will go to the lucky winner, and the other $500 will go to a local high school program picked by the winner. Start playing now at wrenchway.com slash shop talk. Link is in the show notes. Now, what... I want to talk about the industry in general now where try to pick your brain a little bit about what are the hot topics that are out there right now? What is it that everybody's talking about or that people are fired up about? What What are you hearing? Well, it's a lot of, you know, a lot of the things we've been talking about for a long time and it it's, continues to be, you know, a big challenges for, for dealerships and it's, you know, labor shortage, you know, turnover for service advisors just continues to be, Huge, you know, sometimes up, you know, up upwards of 50%, which is crazy. I've, I've got a coworker here who has a, a Jeep Grand Cherokee and he made an appointment to take it into a, you know, to a CDJR store. And they said, well, you're going to have to leave it here for two weeks before we can even look at it. And he's like, wait a minute, what? You didn't tell me that. And he said, I've been, you know, I've been trying to call you. And he said, well, we only have two service advisors. Everyone else just quit. And so you're, you know, he said, well, let me just bring it in in two weeks. And they said, we're well, still going to have to wait. So he said, you know, we're just going to bring it in. Yeah, it's going to sit here. And then when we have time, we'll look at it and diagnose it and let you know. So the so labor shortage continues to be, you know, that advisors, technicians, you know, always, right? It's can't find enough technicians. If, you know, if there were enough technicians, I think fixed house farmers would be going gangbusters right now. They're still doing very well, but I think they could all use two, three, four more technicians. The, you know, chip shortage, obviously, you know, still a problem. 
repairing cars, but also, you know, for collision and for, and for uh, you know, maintenance. I was at a party with a guy who works for Ford. So one of the beauties of, you know, living in Detroit, I was like, you know, had a party and you, there were like four people from Ford there. And this guy was in parts and he was like one of the chips guys. And he's like, Oh my God. And I'm like, you know, always looking for chips. <laughs> and he was like talking about that, that, that tug and pull of, okay, well, we have a part, but, but it's supposed to go on the new F-150 on, you know, on the line at the Ford Rouge plant, not, you know, some, you know, Ford dealership, you know, in Wixom, Michigan to repair it. So there's this whole kind of tug and pull of, you know, where does this, you know, precious part go to the new car or the car that's being repaired? So that's, you know, an, uh, still an issue, you know, which leads to customer satisfaction. You know, if you tell a customer it's going to be two, three, four weeks, you know, they're not going to be happy, you know, even if it's a legitimate reason, you know, nothing you can do. Um, EV readiness, I think it's just kind of one of those issues that's just kind of out there lurking in the back, in the shadows, where I think a lot of folks aren't really paying too much attention to it because it's not real yet. They they but, know it's there, but they're kind yeah. of like, ah, you know what, I'm just going to keep doing this. And then when that actually like pushes its way in, then we'll let it in kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, that's, you know, it's a, it's a going to be an interesting change for, you know, for dealerships, service departments, but you know, one, I think they'll, they'll handle, you know, whether, you know, some I know have been prepping for a year already. And some are like, well, when we start getting them, we'll, we'll, we'll deal with it then. So, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll manage somehow. And, you know, I just, What's, and I also think there's, you know, going back to text about pay plans and how do you reward them? How do you give them annual bonuses to keep them there? Customer retention is a, you know, always a thing. So, I mean, it's, it's in some ways it's a lot of the same stories. We're always, but I'm always kind of looking for the new approaches, the new best practices to solve these ongoing challenges. And then, you know, and then there's always new ones that pop up. You know, what I've, what I've tried to do more is more feature stories and more stories about people behind, you know, behind the industry a little bit and, and kind of humanize, the, you know, the department a little bit more than, than it has been in the past. Well, it takes it, I mean, it does take some talent to do that storytelling. I think a lot of times you can do the storytelling maybe while kind of giving an update on something as well. And I, you know, I think that's what you guys excel at. I am curious being in Detroit, you have a unique level of probably understanding the OE side, the dealer side, and like the, I think one of the things I learned growing up in the industry and then once getting into the dealership side of things was learning how adverse at times that OE dealer relationship can be and trying to, you know, for you not being one-sided in that argument or anything like that, just trying to tell the story. Is that hard to do where you're, you know, you go and maybe you've got a friend at a dealership that it's like, oh man, these Oh, he doesn't know what they're doing. They don't. They can't get chips out, you know. And the oh, he's like, hey, we're we're trying. We're we're really trying. We just can't get them. Does that put you in kind of a, a unique predicament where you kind of get stuck in the middle? Uh, it can it can happen, but it, not not too often. And at least for for me, yeah. But it, but you know, over my seventeen eighteen years, you know, doing this. You kind of learn that you know, hey, you know, let me hear your side of the story. Let me hear this guy's side of the story, and I'm going to put them both out there equally and fairly, and and you know, folks can decide what's you know who's the who's the wearing the black hat and who's wearing the white hat in this. If or maybe they're both wearing black hats, uh, <laughs> uh, but no, it's it's you know, it, it, 
you're obviously, you know, going to upset people sometimes who don't think they're getting a fair shake, you know, but that's, you know, that comes with the territory. So it's, there's nothing that really bothers me too much. Well, that's good. I, I do want to talk about the so labor shortage is obviously near and dear to my heart. That's what our business is all about. But I'm curious as to in your time in the industry so far, if you've seen gains there, it, like you you see maybe a broader scope or a different. I guess you see this through a different lens than maybe I would. Do you see progression with the dealer network and and how they're approaching this? I, I dealer network, yes, and but also just I think there are a lot of entities that are working their way towards this and trying to solve this. And, you know, I, I think, you know, talking about like I could write a story every issue about technician shortages, but I could also write a story every issue or maybe probably more about people who are trying to solve it. I mean, their community count. I'll have, I don't know if we're going to be, it'll be in the December issue or sometime in January, but there's a story about, you know, a college out in LA areas, got a big infused bunch of money for their, you know, automotive, training program. I just got a notice about another one. So there's always these stories about, you know, this school getting three million for their automotive tech, you know, programs and this school getting, you know, five million, whatever it might be, and, and all this new equipment. So I think there's a lot of effort being put towards towards the problem. And so I think, you know, and I, and I think there's an awareness more maybe than there has been in a while that they have to, they're, you know, techs have certain needs too. And they they want certain things. This this maybe generation of of workers has a different kind of mindset than maybe you know, people our age. And you know, as far as like how long they're going to work and how many days they're going to work, and wouldn't it be nice to have a three day weekend or you know things like that? And these are kind of I think dealerships are trying to like solve these problems and maybe come to the table with more than they have in the past, where it was kind of like, well, if you don't like it, hit the road and we'll find somebody else. Now it's you know there are these you know these. Great programs of you know annual bonuses. You the longer you stay, the retention bonuses. The longer you stay, the more money at the end of the year you get in your paycheck. And I think you know that's appealing for a lot of for a lot of techs. I think you hit that on the head. Where five years ago, it was only, and this wasn't um, automotive news specifically, but at one point it did feel like we were becoming numb because every time you opened a paper or every time you read something online. It was about the technician shortage, technician shortage. And, you know, I think even for me in, in this business, it was almost becoming, I think people were becoming numb to it, right? You, you could only read the same Bureau of Labor Statistics stats over and over and over again right. so many times before you're like, yeah, I get it. I get it. Like, it, we, we have a big problem. But now the shift to focusing on the solution and focusing on the things that are helping, I think is so impactful and it shows I think that maybe the cool part to me is the willingness of everybody in the industry to kind of step up and try to do it better, right? Like to, to try and work together, collaborate on things that, you know, we can do to help get more people into this industry and make it a better place for the people that are already here. And to me, that's one of the more rewarding things that I've seen. And I think in in print media, that's something that I've seen a shift too. And you talked about that there where, you know, not talking about the problem as much anymore, but talking about ways that we can fix that. And I, I, it yeah. sounds like that's kind of the approach that you went with. Right. It's, it's right. We, I, right. Like I could write a story every time. So, oh, you know, here's how many texts there, you know, the industry is lacking. 
what I'm always curious about is, okay, who's has good approaches? Who's having success? And I was actually at a, you know, kind of a small fixed ops gathering. It was in, in May and there was a gentleman there, fixed ops director from a large group down in Florida. And he was talking about their, you know, they have kind of a, a mentoring program and it's been very successful. And they had like these great numbers of how many they've been able to attract and retain. And I was like, yeah, I want to write about that. It's, you know, and he said, well, we're kind of like, you know, we don't want to, I don't think they wanted to share like, you know, the secrets with the world. And so, which I run into every once in a while. It's like, you know, I'm not going to tell you the secret sauce, but I'm going to tell you that it tastes really good. So, <laughs> but, you know, but it was, it really kind of bummed me out because I was like, this is a great story. You know, this would be really helpful to other people to say, here's how this group's doing it. Here's the success they've seen. You may want to try this. So, but that's what we, but that's kind of my focus is always, you know, looking for, new approaches that are proven to be successful. Isn't that funny, though? Because that is a weird conundrum that we find ourselves in as an industry is, you know, you you might have a best practice as a dealership, but your willingness to share it might not be, you might not be too open because you don't want, that might be your competitive advantage, that you don't yeah. want your neighboring dealer to know that. And at some levels, I think that's hurt us in this this shortage of labor. And the reason I say that is I we just had a conversation with a bunch of schools a, a few weeks back on one of our roundtables. And it was funny because I had brought it up and I hadn't even thought about it prior to our conversation that we we're having in the roundtable. But what we talked about was when you get in an advisory committee meeting, it's one of the more awkward things because what you're doing, the school brings in all of industry. Oftentimes, it's competitors sitting right next to each other, and they're asking for feedback on the program. And the school's asking, you know, for best practices. What can we do to, to better help your shops out? And the amount of people that sit on their hands and won't talk because they're afraid of giving away their trade secrets is mind-blowing to me. It, it's yeah. really, really hard to get anything done when nobody will talk. It, it, you know, We're trying to generate and stoke the fire, but then there's that hesitance, and I totally get it. Like it, yeah. If you don't want to give away your, your secret sauce, but I also think that's part of the reason as to why we're at, why, why we're, where we're at today, right? Like We're, we're in this position because... We were so kind of on our own islands for so long. It luckily it doesn't happen very often when if we approach somebody and say, "Hey, we want to write about your successful parts program, or you know the way that you're recruiting advisors, or whatever it might be." And for the most part, people are very willing to Pretty do that. Good. And this one was one of those rare occasions where they were like, "You know, he see he was very nice." I would, you know, I would love to, but you know, the, the word up you know from up above is we're not we're not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. I, I do think that's changed too. I, I think you're right there. And I, I'm always shocked at the amount of people that will come on our podcast and talk freely about their business and, and openly. And really, I think with the with good hearts, right? Like they, they want to help the industry out. And I think at the end of the day, the way to fix this labor shortage is to get everybody on the same page and and really have a collective push to to have more of a presence in schools and and be better places to work. Quite frankly, I think that's one of the the core issues. Is there's still shops out there that aren't treating their people very well, and we've got to fix that. And it could be something as simple as maybe they didn't have the leadership training up front. You know, they were a technician that was promoted into that manager's role or a service advisor that was promoted into that manager's role. 
And we don't do a great job at kind of training them up to get them to that point, but it does feel like we're starting to move that direction. I think there are, there are organizations that are trying to kind of lead the way and, and, and you know, to, to some success. And, right, I think there's, there's more of an awareness that this is a problem that everybody can, in their own way can help solve. And again, it's a little, it's, it could be as small as, you know, a boot allowance or a tool allowance or, you know, meals on the weekends when they're, you know, when the techs are in turning wrenches on a Saturday or a Sunday. All those things go a long way to making it a, a, a nice place to work. And, and that's, you know, and I think we, I, we did an interview with, you know, Carlisle and Company and they do a lot of great benchmarking surveys. And that was like the biggest thing. It was like, you know, I just want to, you know, be a place that's enjoyable to come to work at. And that, you know, yeah. and that they treat me well and like they're happy to see me and they appreciate what I do. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, there are places that are not like that. No, we, we had a shop talk to us. So a while back, they didn't end up being a client and it's probably a good thing, but just openly talking about how they were proud of how little they paid their people. And I'm like, oh, our industry's regressing. <laughs> Like no, that's not the, that's not the way we want to go, you know. Right. Yeah, that would be a good slogan on the website. You know? No, we pay our people terribly. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that you might struggle a little bit more to to get people. If you're enjoying Beyond the Wrench, remember to follow and rate our podcast to help support the show. Right now, we would like to give a shout out to this week's sponsor, Universal Technical Institute. Since 1965. Universal Technical Institute has trained thousands of students to pursue their dreams. If you want to train for an exciting career in transportation, skilled trades, or energy, UTI may be the school for you. You'll learn how to work with tools and equipment from some of the world's top brands like BMW, Ford, General Motors, Daimler Trucks, and more. That's why many of these brands recruit UTI grads when hiring. Develop your skills in state-of-the-industry labs. Train in a blended learning format designed to mirror the industry. You can graduate in less than a year, and their career services department is here to support grads as they launch their careers. UTI has a national reputation with a variety of programs to choose from at campuses across the country. You'll learn the skills you need in a hands-on environment that doesn't feel like a traditional school. See how you can get started today. Disclaimer, some programs may require longer than one year to complete. UTI is an educational institution and cannot guarantee employment or salary. So I think it can be really easy to be negative in storytelling when it, in regard to a lot of the problems that we have in our industry. And then conversely, it can be hard because if you're trying to just paint this really bright rainbow positive picture on something that's not great, uh, how, do you, how do you control kind of that narrative of like it being overly positive or overly negative, but actually just trying to get the, the good kind of stuff out of it. Well, I mean, it, it, it takes a good writer to begin with. And like when I'll assign a writer, sorry, we'll talk about it over the phone. Here's, you know, and I'll, I have an idea of in my head what this story is going to be about, you know, and here's why I found it appealing in the first place. Here's why I think it resonates because X, Y, and Z. So talk to them about, you know, that and, and see what they say. And, and, you know, when in our business, you know, if someone's a bad actor, you know, it's our, it's our job to call them out as a bad actor. For, for me and Fix Ops Journal, especially, 
you know, we're looking to highlight the good that's going on. Or, you know, even if there are challenges that are struggles, we're trying to look at people who are coming up with solutions. And that's not to say that we're just, you know, we're all rose-colored glasses here and, and we think, you know, you know, that's all. But we're not, like, searching out to make anybody look bad or to paint anybody in a, in a bad light. You know, we're, again, we're trying to find solutions. I think that was kind of the mandate when they started Fixed House Journalism. You know, we want to be educational. And that's what I always, you know, when I go into, you know, assigning stories, you know, or, you know, thinking of good, you know, good stories, is this going to be helpful to the readership? Is the readership going to read this and say, oh, that's an interesting perspective that they have, or that's an interesting way that they're going about it. You know, maybe I'll try that. That's kind of what we're, you know, my kind of goal is my mission is to make it educational, is to be, you know, about sharing best practices and, you know, and also highlighting the people behind the work that's being done. You know, here's, you know, their, you know, the life maybe outside of, of the store. So that's, you know, kind of my philosophy and, you know, and it, and then usually it's worked out well for me. And, and, yeah. you know, again, we're, you know, they're not, I'm not looking to throw bombs at anybody. Do you know? So I know you're not a numbers guy, but one of my favorite parts of the magazine is what is that? Probably it's normally pretty early in the magazine, but the, the breakdowns of stats that you'll have where yeah. you're breaking, you're pulling stats from different areas. And I, for me, when I'm reading that, it, it gives me a page where, I have a pretty good sense of where we're at in whatever it is that you're talking about, just based on how you've got it laid out. I don't know what the most popular part of the magazine is, but for me, that's probably the number one page I go to right off the bat. That's, that's I'm thinking, I'm thinking of a service counter, and it's it's always one of the hardest things for me to, to find and, and fill out because it's you know <laughs> you've got to go out and find you know numbers every you know every month. Oh, you know. Like twice a year, I can count on NADA supplying like a great like a annual yes. report and a mid year report. So I'm like, okay, I got two two of the six issues covered, but on the other four, I'm like, I gotta go find you know stuff. And <laughs> so I'm like, where can I find like some you know relevant numbers that aren't too old? And so it's always kind of like one of these things, like, oh, I gotta go. You know, one of the last things I I write for the magazine that's published is like, <laughs> okay, I gotta go find some numbers. So. <laughs> But I'm glad you enjoyed. I'll, I will keep searching for numbers just for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll I'll keep reading it because it, it's it's really good stuff. Now, how do you? What one of the the big things that I take pride in is being able to get the voice of technician out there, and I, I think being able to hear directly from technicians how they feel about the industry and, and some some particular subject, you know, whether it is retention or happiness in the workplace or what's attractive to other technicians. Is it hard to find technicians that you feel comfortable doing a story on for something like that? Or, you know, walk me through that process because a lot of them, they're not very visible, right? And it's unfortunate, but there's so many good stories out there with technicians that are just killing it. And I, yeah. you guys have done a good job in, in that capacity, at least, at least being able to put some visibility behind that. So it's difficult because, you know, it's not like they have a, a phone at their desk or you know their cell phone number. So you've got to go through people. Like you got to call the service director, the fixed-out director, and say, hey, can I talk to so-and-so? And they'll be like, oh, you know, and they may stop right there. Well, we don't, you know, we're – 
We're what do you weary. want? We're a little wary of the press. What do you, what, what do you like? You know, are we in trouble? Do we do something wrong? And it's like, no, we like, you know, here's why we want to talk to this person. So it's a, it's a, it's just a chore just to get to them. And, and, yes. and they're busy. They're not like laying reading around like you know reading a magazine and waiting for you to call them. They're like busy working. So like if you try and reach them, it's it's you, know, you got to leave a voicemail and maybe they'll call you back. Maybe they won't. And if they forget, so it's it's always a challenge. That's some of the biggest challenges we have. It's just service director, service managers, fix after they're always busy. And so, you know, they're never at their desk for the most part. They're out wandering the shop. And so you leave a voicemail, you know, it, it may, it may be, it may take you four or five, six calls before you even get a, re- a return call. And luckily I've started to, you know, know some of these folks. And so I have cell phone numbers. And so I can text them or call them on the cell and say, Hey, you know, but one of the things that I really liked that we did was a tech that, you know, Russell Wickham. Yep. And this was just, you know, I'm reading LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm just reading, you know, people in the industry and posting stuff. And he was posting all these things about this, about his struggle to find fulfilling work, a place that he can feel valued. And he was very open and honest and just, and was a very good writer about laying out. Here's, here's how I'm feeling about things. Here's what I want and want in life. Is that, is that so much? And it was, and it was just really, I thought it was compelling. And so, you know, I was able to track him down and said, Hey, would you write a guest column for us? I think, you know, what you've written in LinkedIn is you're a good writer. You've got a lot to say, obviously. And, you know, we'd love to have your voice because, because we just don't have that voice very often. It's, you know, it's a service manager, service directors for the most part. Right. And so he did, thankfully. And, you know, in, in, a, odd, in an odd kind of way, this past week, or I think in either in the December issue or in, in January, we're going to have a story about Techion, which is kind of one of these the newer kind of faces on the DMS space, and I've been wanting to write about, about them for a while. And I, the the writer turned in the story and stuff, and he talked to you know a couple of people who are using it. But I remember seeing a couple of LinkedIn posts by Russell talking from a, a technician standpoint how much he liked Techion, and so I reached out to him. I said, "Hey, we'd love to have your voice in this. It's, you know, it's again, it's a different voice. It's." It's not the service manager or service director. It's a technician, someone who's, you know, a, in a different place, but still using the, the technology. And what, what do they think about it? So I wrote to him. I said, Hey, would you, you know, can you, can you, you know, I want to talk to them about what, what do you like about tech and what is it different than the other ones you've used? So he wrote back and said, here's why I like it. And so I put it in the story because it's a, it's, it's, you know, it's just, it's relevant and it's just another, a different voice than what we typically have. And so, you know, I was, I was glad to be able to do that. Yeah, and there's different perspective there, and I, I think I know which post you're referring to with Russell, and I've had conversations with him, and uh, it, and think a lot of him because he does have a good. It, 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 I think he says what a lot of technicians want to say, right? Mm-hmm. And and he was lucky enough to to find a spot that is really good to him, and and it is. You know, in a small world, I think he had gone through the app, through the Wrenchway app, to find that, and that was like it was such a as I was reading it, in my mind, I was like, oh, this is what it's all about. This is why we're doing this. This is like we, we want somebody like Russell who, like, at some point could have just left the industry. He's talented yep. enough to go do other things and luckily enough found a place that that really, I don't know, they value him and he – He's vocal about that on LinkedIn as well and being able to, to kind of put out his journey. And it's been an eye-opener because I do think there's other technicians out there that think exactly the same way he does. They see the same things he does. And and for him to be that 
I don't know, open about his journey, I, I think has been really cool for me to see, you know, specifically through LinkedIn, but just in my conversations with him in general, he, it, it's, it's fun conversations to have. And, and funny thing about that story was that I, again, I read it. I said, this is, this is a good story. I said, you know, and so I talked to one of my freelancers who's my favorite writer, my best writer. And I said, I want you to write this story. I said, you know, here's what it is. And then, like, so then he, and I kind of laid it out in like in a phone call, and I followed up with an email. And then he called me back a couple of days ago. I'm still not getting this. I'm not like, what's, you know, and, uh, and I said, no, I said, I said, this is a good story. You got to believe me. It's just like, you know, this is a guy who's giving voice to the voiceless. He's a very good writer. He's got a platform that he likes and feels comfortable on. And he is saying, like you said, what other techs would love to say, but are unable to for whatever reason. I said, this is a great story. And I said, plus, He's finding a job. He's got a new, he's found a job. This is back when he first, you know, started out there in, in Pampa. And, and then I said, you know, so then you got to ask his new boss, like, are they nervous that he's going to like, you know, blast them on LinkedIn? if like they, they screw up and stuff. And they, you know, they, and they were, oh, no, you know, we're comfortable with that and stuff. But it was kind of interesting. I had to like kind of do a little bit of convincing to my writer saying, Oh, this is this is a this is worthwhile. This is a, this is what we want to do. So, but yeah. Well, shout out to his managers though, because that, that level of security in themselves to say, hey, you know what? We're going to let him do his thing and and trust that he's not going to paint us in a negative light was refreshing to me, like to hear that because there, I think that's a reason that so many technicians don't talk about their experience is because they're afraid of getting thrown under the bus or they're afraid of, of possibly getting fired because of yeah. something. And it, it almost... It sets us back a little bit because then we can't have honest conversations. We can't talk about a technician's experience and and make this industry a better place. So the fact that you took the time to to have your people reach out and have a good conversation with him so that you do have a full understanding of, of where technicians stand, I think is is hugely important. It's it's I think moving forward having technicians a seat at the table to where they can talk about this is the only way we're going to progress as an industry. Yeah, it's very true. How do you, do you see opportunities for that moving forward? Like more so like to get more of the Russell Wickham's out of, out, like out of the abyss and, 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 and talking. Yeah. I mean, to me, a good story is a good story, no matter who it's about. And, you know, and if they have an interesting story to tell, or they have a perspective that's interesting to tell, then then you know that's the kind of stuff we're looking for. So you know, it's, again, it's it's not because they're techs that maybe we haven't put them in as much as we should. It's just more of a it's, you know they're kind of they're unseen and unheard a lot of times in, in this leadership world. They're in the back and they're working, and and so you know the the, the managers and the directors are kind of the, the spokespeople for you know for the department. So. The answer is, you know, yes, we, you know, we, we love, you know, again, good stories are good stories and it doesn't matter who, you know, who's it about. Well, technicians have some crazy stories. I grew up in a shop and just knowing the people that I've known throughout my life and the differences in their backgrounds, this is, again, something we say in a lot of content, but we as an industry kind of can be guilty of painting all technicians as one person. We use the demographic of like, hey, every technician likes to hunt and fish and they like this one thing. And I, I said, at one of the last shops that I managed, one of our best techs was 60, I want to say 62 or 63 years old, but was a hardcore gamer. 
I would have never, ever, like, in my life thought you would run into that where he was staying up until, like, 2 a.m. every single night playing playing games. He would take vacation time not to travel, not to go ride four-wheelers, but literally would play whatever whatever game that he was playing for, like, a week straight. Like, he was, he like, a self-admitted geek when it came to video gaming. And I'm like... That was one of the first times where the light bulb went on with me, and I'm like, oh, maybe these people have different backgrounds. They're not, you know, it's not like it's all one right. type of technician. They have right. hobbies. Yeah. yeah, it's, it's. I mean, that's the a great thing about you know, you know, effect stopped industries. That's just there people from all different kind of backgrounds and all walks of life, and not all, you know, grew up with you know the grease under their fingernails that they, you know, they, they came from different walks of life and, and started a second or third or fourth career doing what they're doing in the, in the industry right now. From a content standpoint, kind of looking forward, you know, we had talked about kind of that gigantic elephant in the room, which is electrification. And a lot of these dealers sitting there looking at this, that it's coming. I know you look at maybe a Ford with the mandates that they've got coming to their dealers and they're not alone. I mean, it's every, every manufacturer is, is adapting to this. And I, I think at times you look at it and it's hard to balance like current day versus what's coming. And, you know, from, from maybe that dealer standpoint or any, any shot for that matter, like understanding, like okay, we still we still have to take care of business today, and it's really important. But we know this thing is coming down the road. I know for me personally, this is a terrible, terrible habit to be in. But when I'm going through fixed ops journal or, or automotive news or whatever publication, I tend to earmark those electrical the electrification articles and think that I'm going to go back and read them and then I don't do a good job at going back and reading them. So I'm, I'm curious, like how, how do you balance new technology with, with what we're dealing with today? Yeah. And I think it's, I mean, like for, you know, the people I talk to, it's like, like you said, they know it's out there, but they're focused on the here and now. And they think even though the manufacturers say, Oh, by 2025 or 2027, we're going to be, you know, hundred percent of that, whatever it might be. They still, in their heart of hearts, and they're probably true that we're going to have internal combustion engine vehicles on the road for years and years to come. And so there's still going to be need for, for people to come in and get their vehicles, those vehicles serviced. And so, so while I know, right, the reality is that EVs are down the road a little bit, there's still, I think, you know, questions to be asked of dealership service departments. How prepared are you? And, and if a lot of them say, you know, oh, we're not we're not prepared at all, or we're not you know we're not worried about that yet. You know, then that's the story. But if they're saying, "Oh, we're doing this and we're doing that, and we're you know little by little we're doing this, and we're you know, creating another safe bay here, and we're going to expand," and you know, then that's the story too. So I don't, you know, I, I think I'm kind of focused more on the here and now too. Like here, here are the issues right now. These are interesting and you know something to be considered and talked about, but not overly you know obsessing about at the moment. I don't think I don't think you're going to run out of things to talk about for a while but with <laughs> with everything that yeah. we've got coming. You know, I I look through it. Uh, I look through the lens of a technician a lot, and that's one of the concerns that I've got for technicians is how are we going to stay on top of this stuff moving forward? It, there's so many moving pieces right now, and you know, I'm talking through the lens of a technician. But you look at that dealer principle. You look at 
that fixed ops manager or director and you look at a, even a the sales manager, how do you stay up with being able to, to stay up on the latest trends of vehicles? Like it, there's just, there's, it's so many moving parts. It feels like we're kind of transitioning to like the tech industry where it's just, it, it's something different every single day. Yeah. It's like you you have feet in, in two worlds and you're trying to, you know, grasp on both. And I think, yeah, EVs are, you know, are, are, it's going to be interesting it's because they're just, it's, it's still a car, but it's a, it's a whole kind of different animal. And it's just a, a different way that you got to treat it and, and care for it. And, and there's just, there's more danger to it than, than your regular ice vehicle. So it's, yeah, it's, right. You're a little bit in the, you know, tech, you know, you're in the manufacturing from the 1900s. And then you're also in the, you know, the high tech world as well. And you're, you know, you're kind of straddling both worlds right now. Yeah. It, it, it's, uh, it's interesting to say the least. Now, moving back to kind of your role and your job, I'm curious, what, what gives you the most satisfaction? What do you, what do you like the most about your job? It's, you know, I think meeting interesting people, focusing, spotlighting, you know, good people. You know, we have a, a running feature in, the FOJ uh, called Spotlight, where we just write a short little profile. And then we have kind of 15 answer questions. You know, what was your first job? What was your first car? What was the first concert you went to? You know, if you could have three people at dinner, living or dead, who would they be? Those kind of fun questions. And, and I've, I've gotten the you know biggest kick out of that, to be honest with you, more than the cover stories and all that other stuff. And so it's, I think, you know, kind of just maybe shining a light on people who maybe aren't recognized as much and, and kind of, again, kind of humanizing the people in the industry. I'm, I'm, you know, even though I grew up in, in kind of this hard news environment, I'm, you know, covering police and crime and courts and things like that. I still like, you know, like feature writing. I like to write about people and their, and their journeys along the way and what they've always done and what their hobbies are and their passions are outside of the auto industry. So those kind of give me the, the greatest joy is just, you know, and people are always, you know, very, you know, kind and they write back and say, Oh, thanks so much. And this was great. And to see on LinkedIn and when I share on LinkedIn and people are writing, Oh, way to go. This is great. And, you know, that's, it's always kind of satisfying to know that you're, you're writing something or you're putting out a, a product that people are enjoying and, and appreciate. That I think those, those stories are just much easier to read too, right? Like when you're, yeah. you're <laughs> yeah. learning about somebody and it, it, from my perspective, it's just always, it's always fun to read about people doing great things, and I, you guys certainly do a good job at that. So I'm going to flip the script on you here a little bit. Who are the three people, living or dead, that you would want to have dinner with? Wow, good one. All right, um, <laughs> it's a good one because you wrote it. <laughs> yeah, I stole, I stole it from the Business School magazine at the University of Michigan because they always did that. So I'm going to I'm going to steal that one of these days. I finally did. Um, I would probably boy. I would have my my Irish grandmother who I mentioned earlier because she was she's a hoot and I probably would have my her husband my grandfather I didn't know as well whenever when I was younger he was always kind of sick he was twenty years older than my grandmother but he was uh, he was a streetcar conductor in Detroit and she rode the streetcar to her housekeeping job and he liked her and so he let her ride for free so she got to save a nickel or whatever and so she thought that was pretty good and so they ended up marrying him so. So, I, but I didn't get to know him. I was always scared of him because he was always in bed and he was always kind of 
you know, <laughs> ill and you know, he had a glass <laughs> eye and stuff. And it was just kind of like, so I would like to kind of know him a little bit more than, you know, I did as a, you know, eight year old or whatever. And probably I'd like to have my father back just because I, you know, he got, he always gave me a lot of great advice, you know, being in the business as long as he had. And my two older brothers also in the newspaper business. And so I kind of leaned on them too, but I like to share some stories and, and ask questions. I've still got questions I need to ask about, you know, this business and, and how to navigate it at times. So those would be my three. Is there anybody in the press or somebody that, like, you modeled anything after or that you admired growing up from aside from your father, but maybe somebody that was well-known that you liked their style or different influencers that, that might have had an influence on you over the years? Yes, I think, you know, I've, especially when I was writing – you know, feature stories, let's say, whereas you got a little bit more poetic license to, to be, you know, offbeat or silly as opposed to, you know, a hard news story about, you know, someone being murdered or something, you know, where you, there's not a lot of room to, to for jokes and, you know, but I like, you know, there was a, there was a sports columnist at the Free Press a long time ago named Mike Downey, who was always kind of very irreverent, you know, kind of fun. Mike Royko, who was a longtime Chicago columnist who, you know, kind of very offbeat. So I kind of gravitated towards the people who were, you know, who took a little, took some chances, a little bit daring, a little bit outrageous when they could. And so, you know, I, I pushed the envelope a lot whenever I could and just in, in my writing and, and kind to, you know, trying to be a little bit bolder and, and, and snarky and, you know, that kind of, so those are kind of the writers that I always kind of looked up to and, and cause they were, they took chances. And so I like that. It's a, it's a fascinating industry to me. One that I don't know a, a ton about. I, my, Wife's uncle actually has worked at the Cronkite School down in Arizona State yeah. for for a long time, long, long time. And so we've had the pleasure of going through the Cronkite School numerous times. And it is so cool to see how everything comes together and, and the talented people that work, you know, in, in with papers, with online content, behind cameras for, for the news. It's It truly is a... A unique gift. It's fascinating that your entire family has been involved with with this industry. It's 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 cool. Yeah, it's it's you know. And when I left the newspaper newspaper business to go work at the University of Michigan, I, I thought like you know that's it. I'm done. I'm going to go do some. You know, if I ever leave University of Michigan, I'm going to go do. I'm not going back to newspapers because you know been there, done that, and I went. But there's you know there was I found the poll you know that I to come back. Something I just know and I love and passionate about, but you know, so I sit in on the you know we have a you know morning meeting you know on Zoom and we talk about what you know what's going to be in on the website today, what's going to be in the paper you know the following Monday, and all these plans and how they you know the mo- and mo- you know Monday comes and you're like, okay, we only have these you know this small amount of stories we're gonna you know but the paper's this big we're gonna have to you know find some news out there and then every day a few more things get added to the pile. And I was just before I came on here, I was you know, the designer and the kind of the editor who kind of makes sure the, chain, the trains run on time. We're talking about, and they were, he was laid out the centerpiece for page three, I think. And then he just found out, well, you can't do that because the centerpiece piece photo had a picture of a guy sitting in a car, but then the front page photo was going to be a guy sitting in the car too, a different guy. And so they said, well, we can't have the same, a similar. So he like kind of rip up like this whole, page that he had already designed. So he was all mad about stomping around. Rah, rah, rah. You know, I need a whiskey. And he goes, I'm going to give me some whiskey. You know? 
So uh, and then, you know, talking about you know, the old days of newspapers, oh, yeah, everybody had a whiskey in their drawer and it was great. And, you know, so it was, it's you know, it's full of stress and there's times you want to like scream and you, you know, you pound your computer because something's gone wrong or, you know, something's happened. But so then, you know, like Monday comes and there's the paper and what's, you know, it looks like it was a piece of cake, you know, effortless. But, you know, there's a ton of work that goes behind in on behind the scenes. It's got to be cool to see the visual, like the, the impact that you're having visually, right? Like you, you put all this work into it and then in, in the mail comes, or you probably have it ahead of time, but in the mail comes this magazine and, you know, to see your name on an article or see, you know, your name yeah. throughout the magazine has to be pretty cool. It's, it's satisfying. We, you know, this wasn't anything that I had you know, written about anything, but our... I'm going, to, I'm going to either June or August issue was about women in automotive and how do you how do you get more women into into you know service industry and we had a we there was a, uh, a technician down in San Antonio and so they have you know they had a staff photographer and they took this picture of her and it's just this great photo and we were just all like the designer was like oh my god this is the greatest photo we were all kind of blown away just because it was just. You know, it was like a painting almost. It was her looking badass and, you know, all the tools around her. And it was just, and I was like, I was just mesmerized by it. I said, this is the greatest cover we've ever done. It's like, there's so, says so many things, so powerful. And I was just like, you know, stared at it for the longest time. I said, this is, this is cool. This is cool. This is great. You know, and it was, you know, it was a great issue and it was a great story. But that photo was just, you know, really, I think said so many things. It was, it was awesome. That it's cool in general. Everything you guys do is cool. You do a lot of really informative, informative stories that are well written, really easy to read. And just want to thank you for taking time out of your busy day today to join me and talk a little bit more about it. It's one an interesting I'm, an industry that I'm captivated by, but specifically you and your works and, and all of the progress that you've made in a short amount of time is really impressive. You, you've had a really positive impact there, and we we. Always enjoy reading your, your stuff. Everything that you put together is, is amazing. So thank you so much thanks. for everything. Well, thanks for those kind words. And thanks to everybody out there who reading automotive news and fixed out true. And keep reading so I can keep working and earning the paycheck. <laughs> <laughs> you keep doing what you're doing. I got kids that college, not, okay? <laughs> <laughs> you keep doing what you're doing. You're not going to have a problem finding uh, finding people that want to read it. So right. thanks again, Dan. Pleasure to, to talk to you as always. And, and uh, hope to have you back on again at some point. I'd love it. Thanks. That wraps up this week's episode of Beyond the Wrench. Be sure to tune in next week for another brand new episode. As a reminder, don't forget to rate and follow Beyond the Wrench on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. This helps us get Beyond the Wrench in front of other fantastic shop owners, managers, technicians, and dealers just like you, so we can continue to help improve, promote, and grow this amazing industry. Thanks everyone for listening, and we'll be back next week.